0: Anna, are you the. Anna's the MC today?
1: We're all the MC. We were just explaining our, our leaderless organization here. That, and you can hear it's, us. so It's, okay, a, it's like God? the
2: Occupy Wall Street of radio shows. This <laughs> land
1: is <laughs> your land. Well, it's the It's a Free Country podcast for the week. I'm Anna Sale, the reporter for It's a Free Country. Todd Zwillick, there in Washington, the Takeaway's Washington correspondent. And our special guest this week, Ben Smith from BuzzFeed, sitting in for Brian, who is vacationing. Hi.
2: Thanks for having me in. Welcome, Ben.
1: Big, Big shoes. How's how's
0: life at BuzzFeed? You know, you you went from
2: Politico and everybody kind of went, what's BuzzFeed and why is Ben there? But you're there. But now I'm here and everybody's just like, hey, did you see that thing on BuzzFeed? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Did you totally see that thing? That's Ben. Because it was great. (laughs) (laughs) You having fun over there? A lot
0: of fun. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. Well, I, I just learned something. I mean, I came on the line right when you were talking about somebody burning down there. And turns out it was Rick Santorum and you're the guy who knows. So. I suppose that's all we need to know.
2: Yeah, we're the we're the uh, fastest on the draw with all sorts of crazy stuff coming off the trail at the moment.
1: And what was that particular quote in context? What was Rick Santorum saying? I think he was talking about say? the
2: fire in his belly, but there's just this sort of general downward gesture that really is is indeterminate.
1: <laughs> well, that could be the most revealing clip of the week. Uh, but what was the most revealing clip of last week? Ben Smith has the envelope this week with the winner. Yes, our special
2: guest. This, this is this is as voted by by the listeners of this podcast. Move the, just move the red
0: tassel out of the way as you pull on the velvet. I uh, pull on the right, I'm belt.
2: trying to make crinkling noises, but um, <laughs> the uh, and the winner is Todd. Todd ah. for his clips of John Boehner saying the Democrats were playing games in the run up to the payroll vote.
0: Yeah, is this. Uh, did, did I win? T- I'm, I'm two weeks in a row, right?
1: Yeah, but the last win was an asterisk because you used I, one of the clips that I won with before. That's
0: right. It was my Barry Bonds win the week before, but a win nonetheless.
1: It's true. Nice words, yeah. Willick.
0: Well, thank you. Um, did you yeah, John, John Boehner is your game.
1: Yeah. What are you bringing this week?
0: Oh, okay. Well, th- this week uh, I I'm going to go ahead and assume um, that. Other people are bringing clips from the campaign trail. I shouldn't assume that because I don't know what you guys are going to bring. I'm, I'm bringing it to the inside game in Washington here. Um, and I hope you don't consider this yet another minor breach of the rules on my part. But we'll have to fight it out if that's the case. I actually have two clips in one that are going to sort of be my biggest reveal of the week. I start uh, just a couple of days ago in a in a small speech that probably wasn't greatly consumed uh, outside the beltway president obama went uh, into the auditorium in the white house complex to kind of crow a little bit about the payroll tax deal which he finally beat republicans on got a deal on extending the payroll tax and kind of kind of uh, kind of laid down a marker saying, hey, Republican Congress, this proves we can work together and you really should be bipartisan for the rest of the year. And by the way, if you're not bipartisan, I'm going to knock you over the head with it because I'm running against a do-nothing Congress. So listen to the president first and then I'm going to follow up with the, with the big reveal. Here's the president.
2: So in the end, everyone acted in the interests of the middle class and people who are striving to get into the middle class through hard work. And that's how it should be. That's what Americans expect, and that's what Americans deserve. Now my message to Congress is, don't stop here. Keep going.
0: Fair enough. You'd expect the president to say, come on, Congress, we can all work together. Keep going. Well, just a couple of days before the president said this, here's something you didn't hear. Listen to Harry Reid, the Democratic leader of the Senate, on the Senate floor explaining where he thinks the Senate's going in terms of cooperation.
1: I think the president did the minimal with his recess appointments, the minimal. I think he's waited far too long. If something doesn't break here, I am going to recommend to the president, he, re- he s- recess appoint all these people, every one of them.
0: Now, all these people, Harry Reid is talking about 41 nominees being held up by Republicans right now. He's saying if Republicans don't let up. On their blocking of these nominees, I'm going to make sure the president recess appoints every single one of them, not just one or two the way he did a few weeks ago and got Republicans in a constitutional tizzy. So uh, there's my big reveal. The president says we can all get along. He forgot that a couple of days before Harry Reid said, "Mm -mm, no, we can't and we won't. There's just no way.
1: Well, interesting. Those those two clips for your entry, Todd. I don't know if that counts, but but the first oh, one counts. of the of the president <laughs> where you I, I was like actually looking at that exact line in the speech when I was reviewing which clip I was going to submit because I thought it was interesting the way President Obama talked about policies good for the middle class and those struggling to get into the middle class and I was trying to see when he'd started using that terminology it seems pretty recent that he's using that term and I think it's interesting just the pitch he's making he's not just talking about the middle class as we've heard over and over and over again he's talking about the poor and the language he's deciding to use to talk about that I just thought it was kind of interesting
0: and doesn't the president know that Mitt Romney's not concerned about the very poor. That's something we know now, right? So although, maybe that has something to do with his language choice.
2: Although Obama was, you know, was, was concerned enough about appearing to be concerned about the poor that he went way out of his way not to use the word.
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's a very good point. There aren't a lot of people that self-identify as poor in America, but there probably are a lot of people who would self-identify as struggling to get into or stay in the middle class.
2: So, I mean, I think Democrats on the left have been kind of struggling for years to find a way to talk about the deserving poor as opposed to the undeserving poor. And I think that's, that's kind of what that language is about. You'll you worki- see working about? families yeah. struggling. Yeah, for sure. So if, if you use the word poor, that four-letter word, like nobody
0: uses it, right? I, a couple people use it, but the big national brand politicians, the Romneys, uh, Obamas, especially when they're running, they're not using it. We've just established that. Well, Rick Santorum, so it, Rick if, Santorum likes to talk about the poor. Mm-hmm. I mean yeah, he always has. He likes to talk about a lot of things that people just don't want to hear. I mean, that's sort of the theme of his campaign. What what is it about Rick Santorum that lets him say that word that other politicians, including the president, don't want to say?
1: I, well, I you think know? conservatives and Republicans have a lot more leeway in talking about the poor and, and in talking about their appeal to, to the working class, the sort of you know backbone of America. This is, this is their pitch, the way they, they talk about it, that, that I'm for you, I'm, I'm for the regular folks. That's what Rick Santorum's campaign is all about right now. If it's a Democrat saying that, then all of a sudden this history of – welfare queens and all the different ways that Democrats have gotten painted into a corner when they're talking about people who are not in the middle class. And that all gets conjured up. It
2: means we're going to raise your taxes and give it to the poor, so mm. there'll be less and poor. Whereas there's a, Rick Santorum comes out of this kind of almost dead stream of compassionate conservatism of kind of Mike Huckabee style, you know, the first George Bush campaign style sense that, you know, Republican policies are better for the really poor and that there is a role for the government in people's lives. Do we as reporters
0: and as the media collectively or maybe just as political consumers sort of understand tacitly when a, when a Democrat, i.e. in this case President Obama, sort of speaks or has policies that they, that they sort of are for the poor anyway? They need not talk about it because, oh, yeah, we know he's a Democrat. He's from Chicago. He's for the poor. Even if he never actually says
2: much or expands the social programs that they rely on, do we just sort of assume that? Is that our mistake? Well, I think he's defending, you know, what you used to call the war on poverty, social programs. I just think, th- I just think they've learned not to talk about it. Hmm.
1: But he is well, talking about it. He's not just saying this is good for the middle class. He's saying this is good for the middle class and those struggling to get into the middle class, which brings me back to the point. I thought that was interesting yeah, totally. that he added that clause.
0: Well, the president certainly stoked us to have a whole conversation about the language or lack of language uh, when it comes to the poor. The, the the point of my clip, maybe unfortunately for me, was much more inside baseball <laughs> uh, about about whether people in Washington are really going to get along, really going to cooperate, as the president says, or... As you heard Harry Reid in, uh, in his honest moment right there say, uh, no, uh, recess appointments, all this kind of uh, internal Senate strife is going to continue, and, and we're going to have warfare here if Republicans don't, uh, don't, don't start to cooperate with us. I think it's two very, two very different um, sides of the same coin, which is Democrats are running against Congress, and Congress means Republicans to them. So we'll see how that goes.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think what Obama said was kind of a was kind of a it was less it was less an argument against it than really a ploy in that fight, right? I mean, he doesn't really think the sure. Republicans are going to cooperate. He was just smacking them around a little. So and what, he's got the hammer behind his behind his back for when they don't.
1: Well, what what did you bring this week, Ben? What's your clip?
2: So I don't know if this is cheating. I definitely went with the most inflammatory thing I could find. <laughs> um, but but I think that and it's this is directly r- uh, related to the presidential campaign. But there's this sense that social issues in general, women's health issues in particular. Are just sort of popping all over the place. A year after, everybody thought there was a truce on them. And Rick Santorum, I think, has made pretty clear there's a real appetite among Republicans to fight these fights, particularly over abortion. And there's a law in in, um, in Virginia that uh, that would that would um, require a very invasive procedure for, uh, for for women considering abortion. That's pr- provoked a ton of outrage. And um, so, and, and, and uh, my colleague Dorsey Shaw rounded up a bunch of the the local local and national television coverage of it.
0: Transvaginal. It's
1: my favorite airline. Transvaginal ultrasound.
2: Transvaginal ultrasound. Transvaginal ultrasound. Transvaginal
0: ultrasound belt. A uh, a transvaginal ultrasound. Another phrase that I was not bandying about much before this week, but now am.
2: I feel weird. Sorry, sorry, Todd. (laughs) Um, I mean, I just think it's like this is just so not what the Republicans want to be talking about this year.
1: Well, I have a question just about the term. I, I, I'm not a doctor, but I also took Latin, so I don't understand what transvaginal means. Why it's not just a vaginal right. ultrasound? Yeah, good point. Across, cross yeah, <laughs> across the vaginal I think ultrasound. That's, you're right. I think it's inaccurate. <laughs> we should,
2: we should. Add, it, for whatever reason, it's it's like added the sort of sci-fi element or something. I don't know, but it. Um, I mean, it's just like an embodiment of the things that Rick Santorum has brought to the table that you know Republicans really don't want. I think a lot of Republican, particularly Republican governors if he's the nominee, will just vanish. You just won't be able to find them for three months. They won't be seen anywhere near him. I mean, I think he he, he carries a lot of baggage that makes Republicans just, just really scared about well, his getting the nomination. Well, let
1: me ask you about that. You said we thought that there'd been a truce on social issues. I mean... It, to me, being from West Virginia, I never thought we'd reached a truce on, on issues of abortion and contraception in women's health. Not but contraception? N- n- no. I mean, I think y- what gets covered and, and, and that sort of thing. So I wonder if it's, if it's been the sort of fault of the media of thinking that this had somehow tamped down and, and now it's coming back up when it never really went away.
2: Well, I mean, this was, it was Mitch Daniels' line that economic issues were so so important that everybody had to kind of back off on the social ones. I think you've seen with Gay rights. I mean, there's still there are fights going on in the states, but you know, like Chris Christie, Barack Obama are on the same page right now. Like they, I think there's a sort of you know the, the center left position is in favor of same sex marriage. The center right position is in favor of everything but, um, and, and and there are very few Republicans raising it on the stump. It's it's not in the air. I think the same certainly been true of contraception until two weeks, two three weeks ago. Abortion was always an exception. That was always hot. There's all there was all that never really. Went away as an issue. But the idea that, you know, that that Rick's, I think, you know, people are still trying to figure out what Rick Sintorm's position is on contraception, and that's become like a really central issue in the race is a hard thing to predict. And because we're in a Republican primary where, of course, um, candidates are
0: hewing as far to the right as they can. Uh, in order to get those activist Republican voters out, this thing has become a part of the national conversation where mainstream Republicans are probably cringing a bit. And, you know, you talk about, Ben, you talk about governors running from Rick Santorum running from this issue. Uh, I can think of one governor who's the absolute closest to this issue, who probably is the one who wishes it would go away the most. Bob McDonald in Virginia, conservative Republican governor who has a very, very, very religious conservative record um, on issues like this, has some statements and some writings in his past that be, that that as a national politician or somebody who's trying to really break onto the national stage probably wishes would just go away I mean the guy is at the top of every shortlist for the vice presidency probably not a Rick Santorum shortlist because they're ideologically so similar but maybe a Romney shortlist the guy is governor of Virginia he's confronted with this issue and it'll drive women from Republican uh, from the Republican levers so quickly at least independent women, uh, that I think he's got to be sort of hiding around the back of the of the, uh, of the the governor's limo in Richmond right now, wishing this would go away.
1: And then speaking of what's firing up women, you had Amy Poehler there at the top of your montage. And I thought the very end of that Saturday Night Live skit, when she pointed to the camera and just said, don't tell me what to do, was the most interesting <laughs> moment because there she is parroting what you're hearing from Tea Party groups. And this is a liberty issue. Don't tell me government what to do. Right. It's hard she to was that point bigger
2: government than that. I mean, and yeah, I mean, it's, It's it's a pretty invasive government move. And, I mean, it just – I think, you know, like – I think a lot of, like, women who – I think if you saw sort of a Mitt Romney cruising to the nomination, it was going to be hard to freak women out that this guy was really going to take away your right to choose when everybody knows he doesn't even believe what he says. I mean, that's the attack on him in the primary. But in the general, it's sort of his defense. Come on. I'm not really going to do it. I think this has been this boon to the Democrats that suddenly – I think, you know, there are yeah, these independent women who see who see, who kind of see a kind of invasion into their own lives and personal space with from the Republicans in a way that hasn't, I think, for a decade been, been do, there. And do we do
0: we hate other reporters in this since we're podcasting and we're just all hanging out, I'm gonna throw this out there without Without too much uh, journalistic evidence, do, do we believe the? You know, let's let's just do it. You know, do we do we believe the speculation from around Washington, the kind of kind of uh, well nobody sits around a water cooler, the the bar talk that um, you know the the administration's contraception decision, which really brought a lot of this to the fore in Republican ranks, the decision that came from the Obama administration was deftly timed and sort of thrown out there on purpose to get. Uh, to really throw another monkey wrench into Mitt Romney's re-election bid to to advance Rick Santorum, get Republicans talking about something that Romney can't talk about credibly, to just kind of gum up this race even more and that maybe Democrats were crazy like a fox in putting this thing out.
1: So you're suggesting that President Obama fumbled with uh, um, the initial rollout of this on purpose in terms of the Catholic uh, Hospital? I don't,
0: I, I'm suggesting that maybe it wasn't a fumble at all, that they had a policy that they knew, yet again, was nearly identical to a policy that was in Massachusetts when a certain guy was governor, and they said, well, one thing we control is the timing. Let's put it out, uh, let's put it out when there's a month between primaries or between major primaries and, and uh, get the Republican conversation around, uh, around contraception and women's issues. That'll be good.
2: I don't Anybody think buy this, it? Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, if we know anything about the Obama administration, it's not that they're incredibly canny about the rollouts <laughs> of major policy dull. initiatives. I mean, I think you can, it's so easy to give these guys too much credit. I'm also told you can't advance a fumble in football, which is, you know, <laughs> as, as, as a side note. <laughs> well, speaking Mountaineers are supposed to know
1: that, Anna. Oh, I, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I've had my, my share of fumbles to learn from with being a Mountaineer fan. But speaking about timing, uh, one issue, we're talking about hot button social issues. This week, we also heard that The Supreme Court is going to hear this affirmative action case, arguments in the fall, right around election time. That is what I think could be a huge story going into the general election. And that's my clip this week. I'm going back in time to September 2005. And you'll hear here Senator Ted Kennedy questioning Judge John Roberts, now Chief Justice John Roberts, during his confirmation hearings.
0: Uh, Given these series of actions over a period of time, uh, what do you think in your record uh, would give some sense of hope uh, to, to women, uh, to minorities, blacks and browns, to those that are disabled, that are not looking for a handout, but just looking for a chance in this diverse society to be able to have an equal opportunity?
1: Well, uh, Senator, I think there's a great deal in my background that you could look to in that respect. Uh, For example, you could look to the cases in which I argued in favor of affirmative action. Um, I've argued
0: on both sides of that issue.
1: You'll hear it, it just goes on and on. Basically, this exchange, Senator Kennedy is suggesting that Justice Roberts has a pattern of hostility to affirmative action programs. Justice Roberts tries to sort of say, no, I've come down on both sides. But the clip, I think, represents how much the court has changed, how much Washington has changed since the last time the court weighed in on affirmative action in 2003. And so if this decision, if these arguments are happening in the Supreme Court, as President Barack Obama is on the campaign trail, as a Republican challenger is in swing states, uh, both trying to appeal to swing voters, it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. I mean, historically, uh, Americans have been very divided over affirmative action, and it's been divisions along racial lines. Blacks have historically much more supported affirmative action than Americans overall. Whites have been sort of split, and it's very dependent on, on where they come down on the political spectrum. Hispanics, interestingly, are much more split than, than blacks have been. Uh, I think the last poll that I found, it was something like 48 percent supportive of affirmative action for Hispanics, 47 percent opposed. That's Hispanics on affirmative action for Hispanics themselves. So there's this sort of how this is going to play to different voting blocks question. And then also, how is this going to play in the advertising war? I mean, we have this history of affirmative action showing up in really negative campaign ads that Jesse Helms ad in 1990 talking Uh, about racial quotas. Yeah, Yeah, it was like white hands opening up. You lost your job. And and he was running against a black candidate for the Senate, the former mayor of Charlotte at the time. Jesse Helms went on to get reelected. So. This is this is I think going to be a really could could be a really interesting thing happening alongside the campaign trail this fall.
0: The president may be able to to pivot on this issue to yet another commentary on income equality class, you know, so often the affirmative action conversation and the decision will be about, you know, whether or not you can use race in admission decisions and we've sort of been down that road before people turn around right away and say, well, there should be some forms of affirmative action. We believe on doing it on economic grounds. There's a certain kind of diversity that we do want. This is part of giving lower income people a step up, and more people sort of believe in that. And I wonder insofar as the ruling will certainly be confusing because legal stuff always is – if the president won't try to pivot on this into yet another class issue, income quality issue, fair opportunity issue, that's going to be And
2: Obama's, in, I mean, I think the contraception issue has shown how these things can kind of pop out of the subconscious just and totally take over. Um, but Obama is incredibly deft around issues of race and always has been. And if you are Mitt Romney or Rick Santorum, I mean, you might be ill-advised to get into a debate with Obama about it. Just he spent so much of his life thinking and talking about exact and figuring out how this stuff works. I mean, I do think the question which I've seen come up in various contexts is, you know, does Obama think his daughters should benefit from affirmative action over, say, over a poor white kid from West Virginia? And I think his answer is, but to that is basically no. But I do think that's the kind of conversation that'll happen. And his
1: administration has filed an amicus brief in defense of the University of Texas affirmative action program as it stands, which is the top 10% get in, but race is taken into account if you're under 10%. And underlying, it, class.
2: I think, is this, you know, in in all in all kinds of politics, you know, when when a member of one group is elected, every all the other groups, there's this sort of underlying suspicion that you'll see in conservative and. Democratic politics right now, you know, that Obama is black and he's going to be helping the blacks. And I think, you know, when you have a Jewish mayor of New York, people think, ah, is he favoring his people? And it's something that's like kind of this basic rule of ethnic politics that always holds. And Obama's, I think, gone way out of his way to avoid any shadow of a perception that that's happening. So very, very conscious of it. But I think that like underlying the specific issues around the University of Texas is that broader issue.
1: And I think it's in- interesting, though, to think about the fall of 2008, what we were talking about was the collapse of Lehman Brothers wanting to have a deft hand in the White House to, to, during this economic collapse. What happens if we're talking about race in America while President Obama is running for re-election? He might not be able to get around the issue of race and talking to it more directly.
0: Fascinating. And I think, uh, you know, Ben, you're right. The president has been so very good. I'll say it bluntly and not being too black, not being the trying not to be the black president. He's spoken to it once or twice. There's no way around the fact that he is the first black president. That's obvious. That's one of his uh, that's one of the pages of of his uh, of his entry in the in the history books. Um, But does this decision force him to be uh, to identify more closely than he wants to? and you 're looking at a white house that 's increased well you 're looking at a reelect campaign that 's increasingly looks like they 're gaining steam and excited about having the economy conversation excited about having the country on the way back conversation and I wonder if this becomes a big part of the conversation it won 't be the whole conversation it it, it sort of can 't in a in a country with you know eight percent unemployment or above, but if this becomes a big part of the conversation. Um, a, a distraction, perhaps, for the president in the same way that contraception and transvaginal ultrasound and the other things are being kind of an unwelcome distraction for the, the other side right now. And, and will that stuff stick? So n- nobody sort of gets to stay on, mes- you know, on message while the sideshows are going on.
1: Well, since Todd slipped transvaginal ultrasound in the conversation one last <laughs> time, I think we can wrap up. The website to vote on the most revealing clip, again, is it'safreecountry.org slash podcast please go there and vote my clip was exceptionally revealing this week i would say not
2: as revealing as mine
0: <laughs> i am on a i am on a winning streak which just sort of shows how how good i am at closing my eyes and choosing these clips so i think you want to stick with a winner <laughs> usually people want to vote for the winning team and that's uh, obviously team's work
1: and thanks to ben smith and i just want to say if if you reach out to your twitter followers please don't just ask them to vote for you please be fair about this <laughs>